is Gunnar Esaias, and then you are listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast presented by the Boomer Esaias Foundation and GunnarEsaias.com. This podcast series has been made possible by Vertex, Novartis, DCU, and Atlantic Health. The views expressed on Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast are that of Gunnar Esaias and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests, and are not necessarily those of the Boomer Esaias Foundation. Nothing in this podcast series should be considered medical advice. Such advice can only be given by a physician who's experienced with cystic fibrosis. The Boomer Esiason Foundation, Gunnar and Leah Farone, Tiffany Rich, and guests cannot be held responsible for any damage which may result from using the information on this podcast without the permission of your medical doctor. You're listening to Breathe In, a cystic fibrosis podcast. All right, it's Gunnar Esaias, and we are back for another episode of Breathe In after our marathon episodes last weekend from NACFC. As always, I'm joined by Tiffany and Leah. How are you guys? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm actually not well because uh, I'm actually in the middle of tampering at, well, tinkering, I guess, with a feeding tube smoothie recipe. And oh it's uh, it's been a little challenging on my uh, GI system uh, and my yeah. bowels today and, and yesterday. <laughs> Um, so that's, uh, I'm paying the price for that over the past few days, but you know, live and learn, I guess my GQ Mm -hmm. smoothies will be perfected one day. Um, I have a big team behind me working on them. I've got Darcy and my mom. They're always trying to figure out the best smoothie for me. And, uh, I'm like a little science project, I guess. And today is, uh... Tough day to be a toilet in the Esaizen household. It's data. It is data. Yes, it is. It is data. Um, all right, so uh, we, uh, if our listeners did not have enough of us last weekend from the NACFC conference and our daily podcast, we're back for more. Um, yes. But we're going to change gears today. We're not going to talk about NACFC. That's in the past. We're done with it. Right. Um, I think we uh, talked about that enough. Yes, we're back. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we, are, we are back to our normal uh, podcast routine here. So today we're going to talk about compliance with treatments um, or adherence, as some people want us to call it. Um, and really, it's a response to the blog I wrote. Uh, when did I write that blog? Like a week ago, I guess. Um, and my blog was uh, very eloquently titled, It is possible to be 100% compliant with your CF treatments. You're wrong if you think otherwise. Um, so, yes, that is a very clickbaity title on my end. Uh, I am a blogger, so I... Mean, I mean, <laughs> you have to get people to yeah, click yeah, it. Exactly. Right? I am I am a blogger, so I know what I'm doing here when, I, when, it's, when it's up to uh, to me to sort of... At least your uh, clickbait talked about the actual topic and not yeah, like true. you click it and it's like something totally it's different. It's not even. <laughs> yes, yeah. this is yeah. true. That's what Those I'm are my favorite. YouTube. A lot of YouTubers do that. Yeah. They think they you're do. Get it's a technique. It's all about the views. It's all about the page views. Yeah. Exactly. Um, all right, so we'll talk about uh, some of the comments and some of the flack that I got in response to uh, my, my blog in a minute. But first, let's talk about uh, compliance with treatments. Uh, would yeah. you say that you guys are 100% compliant with your meds? Yes. yes. Okay, so it is possible to be 100% yeah, compliant with meds. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, well, in my case now, being compliant mm-hmm. is very is life or like, – well, I guess it's always been life or death. But rejection – anti-rejection meds i have to do them and all those things that are preventing things from happening to me because we don't want to reject the lungs or we're gonna have to go through another surgery to get new ones so i'm very uh, very compliant (laughs) yes you are and it's like you said it's life or death um leah you said you're also 100 percent compliant what does that mean to you um well i feel like i can't do my life unless i'm compliant 
Yeah. Like, I, I can't live my life unless I do my treatments. Um, if I were to miss a treatment, I don't really know what that looks like because I really haven't done that, um, at least at this point in my life. You know, the only times I've ever really missed treatments are when I'm told I medically am not supposed to do a treatment. Mm-hmm. And that is usually with hemoptysis. Right. And even when that happens, I have a really hard time just sitting back and not doing anything because I just feel like I'm drowning in mucus. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's really crucial to me to wake up, do my treatments, get that mucus out, take my meds so I can live my life and then do the same thing before I go to bed. And if I'm sick and I don't feel great, well, then I add more treatments in, you yeah, know, it's because it's important to do. Right. And I don't want to lose lung function. I yeah. want to be able to breathe and live. So yeah. I just feel like it's something I have to do, mm-hmm. you know, even on days I don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm definitely a lot like you, Leah. You know, I, I kind of feel like um, if I if I miss treatment, it's just a disaster. You know, it's. Yeah, exactly. And I, I can't even remember the last time I did miss treatment. Um, I can't either. Even even if I do have hemoptysis these days, I'm pretty resistant to not doing my treatment. You know, to not like uh, to not skipping. I'm, I'm I'm definitely resistant to skipping if I do. And I'm told not to do them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, my For little. Me, I usually like might skip a little aspect of the treatment, but still do something. Yeah, exactly. You know, because it's um, so hard to just yeah. not do those. Yeah, and right. you know, I think I uh, re- really. My claim to fame is like I, you know, I, I, the number of times I missed treatments during my years in college, I could count on one hand, and it was because I was told not to do them from coughing up blood or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I never like forgot, or I just never got. You know, it was never that I just didn't get to them. I, I always did them regardless right. of, of the situation mm-hmm. in college, and. You know, the, the way I made it work was it was they were the first thing that I did when I woke up in the morning before I went to class. And so, I mean, yeah, that, yeah. if that meant waking up two hours before I had to go to class, that meant I woke up two hours before I had to go to class. Right. And then in the evening, my treatments were, you know, sort of, you know, I guess placed <laughs> around whatever the evening activity was, whether the evening activity was, exactly. you know, doing something social with my friends or doing homework or, or something. You know, that's how I did it. And today, in the, you know, in the working world, the routine is daily. It's not like the routine changes day to day because the, the class time mm-hmm. changes. So, um, in the, in the working, it's almost easier to get in a routine in the working world yeah, because it, your routine is very similar every day. It's like it's like high school, yeah, you know. It's a lot like high school, right? Um, right, similar to that. So, like, I think it's easier to stay in the routine now because it's just like it's just part of the day. Um, it's also right. when I'm able to be very productive, like right. So, like that's when I take time to answer emails or or correspond with you know some people that I need to do, and it's just like a a way for me to be productive, um, and also a way for me to also you know. Do something while I'm doing my treatments. Um, yes, and you know I think this conversation of 100% compliance or adherence mm-hmm. comes from the notion that it's impossible. Like people just can't do it, and mm-hmm. you know I I understand why some people have a hard time with it. You know it's it's not uh it's not it's not easy. There's nothing easy yeah, about right. it, and it's also not you know you're not wrong for not being able to do it. Right? It's just mm-hmm. we're talking about the right. notion that 100 100 job. Yeah, I it's mean, a full-time job. It's yeah, and, it's, and it's hard to do. Um, it's also it's you know, exhausting. it's not something you can do by yourself too when you're very very sick. Uh-huh. You know, I right. you know, rely on my support system to to help pick up that slack when I need it, especially when I'm not feeling well. Um, yes. And I, I think mm-hmm. it kind of it kind of gets lost in the conversation of what I was talking about because I think some people, uh, some people do have a hard time with it, and um, they do. And, 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 and I mean, that's understandable. It you is. Know? I mean, it's hard. 
It's it, not an easy thing. It is, and I can also see, like, you know, on the other side of things, like if you're if you're a very healthy, otherwise you know, otherwise healthy person with cystic fibrosis, the right. reper- the repercussions for missing a treatment may not be as severe as it is right. for someone who is sicker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I for me, it's like I'm like if I miss a single treatment, I'm paying for it for. You know, you know the rest of the day, and the only way I, the only reason I know that is because sometimes I do my treatments a little later than I would normally. Like, so like the routine will kind of adjust here or there. Like, you know, say let's say on the weekend I wake up a little later, uh, and I you know I don't necessarily get to my treatments until late morning rather than early morning. You know, I still I feel the kind of fluid build up, and I know that Mm -hmm. if I didn't do if I miss them, it's going to feel like that and get worse throughout the rest of the day. It's going to perpetuate. And also like if I do cough up blood. Um, you know, I know how I feel if I don't do treatments. It feels horrendous. Mm-hmm. It does. <clears throat> it does. Feels awful. You know. Um, so. and, and I mean, my thing is like, why do I want to feel like that? You know, I don't. You I don't know. want. I, I have. No. I have some control over it, right? You like, know. right. Sometimes I don't know. I. And sometimes you do. It depends on the exacerbation or right. what's going on. And mm-hmm. I feel like if you do your treatments, then you have less likely to feel that ickiness you get it all up right the way i look at it is you have good days with cf and you have bad days with cf Mm -hmm. sometimes you have more bad days with cf than good days but honestly if you're having a sequence of bad cf days and even after your treatments you don't feel great imagine if you didn't do those treatments Mm -hmm. you know what i mean you would feel even worse than you already do yeah so the effort of just putting in the time doing your treatments on those bad days will bring good days eventually, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and doing them on the good days, I like to think it helps prevent more of the bad days, you know? <laughs> it doesn't always, though. CF yeah. has a mind of its own. It but, does. you know. Yeah. I also, I don't know if it's you guys, but, like, Gunnar was talking about college and, you yeah. know, not really missing many treatments in college. And I honestly can't think of a time in college where I did miss, miss treatments. And a lot of it came down to... You know, the morning's always kind of the same. Like, I get up yeah. early, depending on the class, do my treatments. But then, like he said, the nighttime is different because it's like, you know, during the week, you have more of a routine. And then, you know, people go out and stuff on the weekends or, like, on a Thursday. And, you know, you're kind of adapting your treatment schedule based on what you have going on. You know, and that might mean do your treatments before you go out or do your treatments when you get back, depending on what the situation is. I always remember that if I would get back and be exhausted, I would feel this absurd amount of guilt. Like if I don't do these treatments, I'm, I'm disservicing myself. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't care how tired you are right now. You're doing this, you know? And that has always been in my mind where it's like, Mm -hmm. it almost like gives me peace of mind knowing, okay, I did everything I possibly could do to prevent, to prevent disease progression and just staying healthy. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if it's just who I am as a person or if it's something that my parents kind of instilled in me when I was younger that this is what you do. You have no option. Right. You know, so it's almost like I have this guilt in the back of my mind, like, well, if I don't do this, like, I I don't know. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I I think it's... um... I, I'm if we're if we're talking about the college days now, I, I always remember right. that. Sorry, you know, I kind of backtracked. Yeah, no, it's but... fine. You know, I, I think you know, I think the college days are you know, there's definitely partying and you know, drinking and, and that kind of thing. And I, I always remember that like, I just had a forethought that I was going to feel horrendous the next morning just from like a hangover or whatever. Mm-hmm, and right. my motivation was I don't want to. I, I know I'm going to feel bad. 
I don't want to feel ten times worse. Yeah. You know, yeah, and I know that if I and I know that if I didn't do my treatments around, you know, not drinking or whatever, whether it was before or even coming home late at night and like, you know, finishing it up or doing an extra treatment, it was because I didn't want to feel worse the next morning. Uh, yeah, that right. you know, that was kind of my like misguided motivation when I was younger. But I, I want to know what led you guys to be like this. Like, did your parents do something? You know, in my, in our household. It was like it, it was severe discipline in my household. That's how it was growing up with me. And this is some right. of the things that you know the comments uh, had had an issue with um, mm-hmm. on my blog. And you know, I think I think it worked for me because you know, let's put it this way. You know, my household was very competitive. You know, I'm, I was growing up under right. you know being raised by a professional athlete, and and my mom was also a very competitive person as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all about you know being the best you could possibly be and not quitting and doing things like uh, to to the very end and competing not only against yourself but other people as well. Um, and that, that's how I was raised. And you know, it, my parents in a lot of ways were, you know, that whenever we had difficult conversations about cystic fibrosis, whether it was you know I guess the sort of life expectancy or whatever, um, the, the 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 tone was always motivating and uplifting. Right. It mm-hmm. was it was never like you're going to die in 10 years. You know, it right. was like, you know, you know, exactly. it was it was all about, you know, getting past that and mm-hmm. and doing what you could to control your outcomes and stuff like that. And I right. think that's where that came from. You know, the, the motivation to use my treatments as a way to better myself came mm-hmm. from the way my parents, you know, raised me. My parents also weaponized some things as well. You know, they'd always be like, well, if you don't do your treatments, we're going to have to go get a pick line. You know, right. and, and those were things right. that they said to me. And. That real, I mean, while it did get under my skin, and and yes, maybe it wasn't the greatest technique, but it worked. It, it, it mm-hmm. certainly worked, and and I don't resent my parents at all today. You know, my parents are you know my biggest fans, and they've done so much for me, and uh, you know, I, I I'm so grateful for the way they raised me because that that's how I am today. I'm I'm just so motivated to do my treatments, um, and, and and that's why I share that story. You know, I think the discipline in in our household was was just part of everything, but it was also part of life as a whole because I you know Sydney and I were playing on, you know, sport, uh, playing on hockey teams or soccer teams or right. football teams or whatever, and our life was all about like you know the discipline of teamwork and and being a part of a team and stuff like that. So you know it wasn't right. it wasn't out of the ordinary to be yeah. you know quote unquote coached through life in a lot of these things. Right, I feel like growing up, at least for us when we were younger. Treatments had to be a family effort because we didn't have things like the vest. Um, so it wasn't like you could just strap this thing on your child and have them sit there and, you know, it would do its thing. It was really my parents doing chest PT every day in the morning and at night, you know. Yeah, nebulizers were more of like a passive thing for them where it's like, okay, here you go. But I always had someone sitting there with me. So I feel like the fact that. My parents had to be involved in the process. They also wanted to be involved. It's not like if the vest, you know, would have came earlier, they wouldn't have sat there because when the vest did come along, it was still a family routine. You know what I mean? Um, But I think that kind of gave me no option at all. I don't remember my parents ever like weaponizing anything or being like, you know, if you don't do this, then this is going to happen. You know what I mean? I always think it was more of a positive reinforcement. Like they would be like, okay, like, you know, if you keep at this and you do well at your appointment, then, you know, we'll go to your favorite restaurant or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, there were little things that they would do for me here yeah, they, they were to in, motivate me. They were incentivizing um, you. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, you don't want to, like, no. be out of control with it. But I think positive reinforcement does help a lot. Mm. But if I complained and I whined and I cried, 
it wasn't like I got out of my treatments. I was still going to do them. Yeah. I would just be crying through them. You know what I mean? And that's how it was. You know? So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it worked. Whatever yeah. they did worked. Mm-hmm. But I think they tried to make it as positive as they could for me because yeah. that's just how I responded the best, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's from just, like, the most I can remember, you know? So. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know that when I was younger, I was taught how to do all my meds by myself because my parents both (laughs) did work and they still do, but um, they both had full-time jobs and I would either go to daycare or I would have a nanny and um, they kind of made sure that I knew what was going on why I was taking this, this, and this when I was young. I was probably like four, five years old. I would know how to mix all my meds because they thought that was probably the best thing for me because then I was independent. So that if I was in a, at daycare, I would know exactly what I was doing. Even though the daycare provider knew exactly what to do, I would know. And then if I needed something, I would know exactly what it was. So I think for them to kind of teach me and do all that was very good because then I became compliant at a young age and I knew that if I didn't do these I would have to go to the hospital and we didn't want to go to the hospital because we wanted to stay healthy so I could go play my sports and do all this stuff so I think that was a good it's positive reinforcement I guess just being like okay you're doing your treatments you're going to be able to go play and go have fun and right. not have to be in a hospital room for two weeks because we all didn't like that. Yeah. So I think that really helped. Um, just being independent with all of it at a young age was really was something that I'm, I'm happy that my parents did because mm-hmm. I knew how to do everything yeah. by myself. You know, I, I think that's that you make a great point about, you know, putting the treatments in the kids' hands, you know, especially in, in your hands in this case. Um, yes. my, my parents also did a lot of the same thing. You know, they taught me from an early age how to do things um, and also how to effectively communicate to other people about these, yes. you know, about the, the treatments I was doing so that, you know, I could also advocate for myself, you know, yes. at school or with the coach or, or, mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, I think that's also a big part of it, too, is... You know, the parents have to know what this stuff is for and, and what's going on. And my parents yeah, did a very right. good job of that uh, so that they could bestow that knowledge on me. You know, too often okay. do we see, you know, that you know, parents may not know all the things mm-hmm. that go on and go into these treatments. And, you know, it's, it's hard. I get it. But at the end of the day, it's, it, it falls upon uh, parents because they're the ones that are going to train people with cystic fibrosis to mm-hmm. do these things later in life. And if they fail at doing mm-hmm. that then their kid is going to fail later in life too. You know, it's, right. it, it's all, it's all upon the, the parent's responsibility at an early age to create, um, you know, good routines, good habits and, and things mm-hmm. like that when it comes to treatments, yeah. because that's what the kid's going to remember later in life. Yeah. And I think right. if you're administering medicine, I think you should know exactly why and wh- what it's for, because if you don't, then it's just, okay, here you go. Yeah, it's just it's just it's just another pill, or it's just another yeah, you know inhaler. I think that's or a lot of times why, at least when a kid's originally diagnosed, and I know a lot of kids now are at least diagnosed when they're really young. Yeah. You know, I mean, you still get late diagnosis. That's always going to happen. But um, you know, usually parents have to go with their child to CF clinic pretty regularly in the beginning. Like I've heard of people going weekly for a while mm-hmm. until they really understand 
what they have going on because I mean that's a lot to throw at a parent especially a new parent who has never had a child like hey you just had a baby (laughs) you're learning how to take care of another human being and then here we go you have to do all these other extra things so I think it is a lot for a new parent to take on and you know learn how to do but at the same time it is doable you know what I mean Mm -hmm. it's just you have to take ownership of it and you have to want the best for your child. Now, you know, I, w- yeah. I will say that, you know, not every person with cystic fibrosis has, like, the great support system. You know, and that's That's not something that transcends the, <clears throat> the, you know, the entire cystic fibrosis community. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, for, for people who may fall into that kind of situation or people who, you know, may, they now maybe later in life and then they kind of feel like they're alone or whatever, and, you know, there are effective mechanisms to help you deal with this and you know, it's, it's something that you know i think a lot of people need to be transparent about with the clinic you know darcy was on the podcast over the weekend talking about the the act uh therapy mechanism that she learned about at NCFC, where it's all about you know coming to grips with uh you know your, your illness and, and what's going on in your life and that helps people get through uh that you know to their their treatment compliance and staying up with their medications and you know i think you know i i problem is you know it that gets lost in the notion that you know 100 percent treatment compliance is like the only way or you know it's it's not the only way you know i think that kind of gets lost in, in in those kind of specific situations and you know right. there we all we it, it would you know we have to talk about you know barriers to compliance that's what we call them barriers to compliance there are, yeah, there are. a number of barriers to people being compliant with their medication there's social barriers you know for mm-hmm. example people um you know going to cystic fibrosis clinic you know they may not be able to park their car because you know they may not have enough money that week or or something like that you know that's a barrier to compliance they're not going to clinic regularly because they may not be able to afford it um yeah. you know that you know they may be having issues with their insurance changing over yeah. and there may be a lapse in care you know there are a lot of things that create these little barriers and that's you know those are things that have to be addressed on a case-by-case basis to help patients survive um and and i I think those are those kinds of things get lost in what we're talking about you know because because we're not talking about you know you're a good patient if you are 100 compliant you're a bad patient if you're not that's not what we're discussing right now we're we're talking about the notion that it's impossible to be 100 compliant um and and that notion does exist you know, let's call it what yeah, it is. It that notion exists because, you know, I think people want to validate their, their, their uh, you know, whether or not they are 100% compliant. You know, they want to right. validate, they want to validate what they're doing in their own lives. Just like I'm <laughs> validating my own life. You know, my, I consider this to be my will to survive, right? And if I can't do 100, you know, be 100%, 100% compliant with my medications, my health is going to suffer. Right. It will though, mm-hmm. you know? And like, I think a lot of times when people are healthier with CF and, you know, like you said before, they might not see these repercussions right away. The thing is, if they start, if your treatments start falling on like the wayside and you just kind of miss them pretty frequently, eventually it will catch up with you. Yeah. And then a lot of times I feel like that's when you just get in a downward spiral Mm -hmm. and you can't stop the progression, you Mm -hmm. know? So, and that's a scary thing. So it's like, if you have control now and you're doing really well, keep Mm -hmm. it that way, you know, because that's an amazing thing. But I get that the motivation's hard, you know, but I can't tell you where I get the motivation other than you just need to do it, you know? And then there's times when you do everything you can and you end up having exacerbation and you don't understand because you've been so compliant and everything I've had that plenty of times and so one time I just kind of 
cried because I said, you know, I do all my stuff, but now I'm in the hospital again. And, you know, it's just the fact that CF is going to do what it wants. But as long as you keep your compliance going, there's no reason for you to feel guilt or anything because it's not you. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're, you know, I think that's another part of it too. Like, it's what there's like a sense of failure when, when that kind of thing happens, and it's it's a hard it's a hard emotion to overcome um, because it's like it's a, it's just the ultimate frustration. You know, I, I always think about like whenever I do get a, a pulmonary exacerbation, it's like okay, well, damn, I've been so compliant, I've been exercising, I've been doing this, that, and the other thing, and then yeah. of course I get a cold. You know, it's like yeah. it's just outside the realm of yeah. my control, really, um, <laughs> and, and and it's hard to accept that because. What it ends up feeling like is like you have to start over as soon as you don't, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as the, the exacerbation yeah, passes. Yeah. You know, you got to get mm-hmm. back in the gym and start from square one, and you got to get back mm-hmm. to normal routine, yeah. and that's that kind of thing. It's just like a, you know, a monotonous uh, cycle. The, the other thing that I, you know, I think that we have to talk about is priorities, right? Yeah. So, like, yeah. the, the one thing I always hear when I talk about this, and it was very fairly evident in the comment section on the blog, is yeah. that you know. Is, is is where people's priorities lie. You know, people are like, "Well, you yeah. must not have a life because you're revolving your life around treatments." That's 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 mm. simply not the case. I actually think yeah. I have more of a life because I do that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, I think because I but, prioritize my treatments, right? Mm-hmm. I'm able to live my life, right? That, yeah, that that's kind of the way I see it. You know, my priorities in life are doing my treatments first and foremost before anything else. Health always comes first, and that doesn't mean I don't have a social life. I don't have a, uh, you know, a girlfriend, or I don't, you know, do things. That that's just not right. the case. You know, I do a lot of things. I just make it work. Mm-hmm. And you know, like someone on the comments, you know, was like, uh, "Let me see if I can find it here." I'm not going to say names, but if you want to go see them, you can go to my Facebook, uh, my public Facebook profile. Um, and you know, it. it yeah, I'll find it in a second. But basically, it, what what it was is like, you know, people are were, were it just seemed like people were offended by my will to survive and my my will to do things and and the fact that I prioritized my treatments ahead of everything else. I think they just took the title yeah. and just ran with it way more than what it meant. Right? You know what I mean? Like you mm-hmm. said, there's these different. I don't know what you want to call it. Like. I don't know if they're barriers, but yeah, I guess barriers mm. to treatments or whatever, like not having insurance coverage or whatever. Right. That's not what you were talking about. You were just talking about the fact that it is doable mm. to be 100% compliant. That was it. Yeah. You know? You just, yeah, you just have <clears> to <throat> do your stuff and then you can live a healthier life, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I mean that's what it is, you know. I, you know, my 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 favorite here, you know, I found a comment here. One of my favorite comments on the, on the the Facebook post was, and I'm not going to say the name. It, it, I'll read the comment word for word. I think this is an extremely problematic and dismissive of other circumstances. The tone here is paternalistic and near, nearing towards cocky. This isn't going to encourage people to do their treatments. Only be bitter toward their providers, caregivers, and other people with CF that constantly lecture them. There are other ways to encourage people. You're obviously entitled to your opinion, but I think this is a dangerous approach. I want to know what part of my will to survive yeah. is dangerous. I mean, I don't know. like, like what, what is, what, what is dangerous about my prioritization of my health, of my own health, right? I, I'm, I, the like, opposite. Yeah, it's the opposite of dangerous. I'm like, wanting to live. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm talking about my own health. What, what is yeah. dangerous about that? What fantasy world are we living in? Is it crap? I don't know. This is like, I mean, like, the fact that I'm being called cocky for talking about it, yeah, I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah. Right? Right. Because you want to show that you are compliant and you can do all this stuff and stay healthy 
because you want to because you want to do it for your for yourself and for your family and friends that are around you so you can live <laughs> yeah I mean that's what it comes down that's exactly what it comes down to like I have so much to live for beyond myself right like I have a girlfriend I have a puppy I have we have a dog in the family I have you know parents yeah. I have a sister all these people love me and right. you know I have friends I have like the greatest friends in the world and I have you guys we love I mean this you. Pod- yes you have, yes yeah, thank you so much <laughs> like I have I have all Why don't you do your treatments <laughs> thank you I mean I have all these reasons that like keep me going Right. Yeah. The fact right. that people are offended by my will to survive and also consider that to be dangerous, that is yeah. like the biggest load of crap I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah. Like, Agreed. like yeah. I mean, what world is that comment you're living in? Yeah. Like, you got you got to be absolutely shitting me. I like, just think <laughs> people get their feelings hurt way too easily. They do. They're very everything is taken so personal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think it's kind of ridiculous that people are getting so mad at you about this compliance thing, yeah. or if we want to use a better word for it, compliance, adherence, okay? Yeah. Since that's the way to tiptoe around the subject. Um, <laughs> but, you know, let's look at it in another way. So there's tons of CFers and people with chronic disease who go out there and they brag about their lung function, yeah. okay? Yeah. I... It's hard to read those comments. Yeah. You know, when you're doing everything you can do and, you and your lung function's it. crap. Okay. Yeah. So, like, that hurts my feelings sometimes, too, you know? Mm-hmm. So, but I don't go in people's comments and I'm like, yeah. oh my God, you know, I'm pissed because you're doing better than me. Like, good for you. Yeah. I'm proud no, that you're good that you're doing well. well. But, you know, it's a hard thing to see all the time. So, no, no girl. I- I hear you. <laughs> it's, it's it's really hard. hard. No control of, like no, you can go to them. I totally understand that, especially when I was pre-transplant and I was super sick, and I see all these people having these high lung functions, and I'm here, basically dying <laughs> and needing a transplant. But I have to remember that. In order to get on the transplant list, you need to be compliant. You have to show that you are compliant. You do everything you're supposed to in order to survive. So going back to that comment about dangerous, no, it's actually you're trying to live. And I don't get why people are putting other people down. Exactly. Because they're compliant. Yeah, I I mean... Compliant. I mean, that's the bottom line. And I had to go get a double lung transplant. That doesn't mean that I wasn't trying to survive. I was doing everything in my might to survive, to do everything I needed to keep my lungs. But, you know, CF takes over sometimes, you know, your mutation, whatever it is, it takes over and you can't help it. And I did everything. So I don't know. It's not dangerous to be compliant. No, and like what you're saying kind of reminds me. So I, you know, I speak at a lot of things and... I spoke at this one educational event um, for, like, parents and people with CF. They could tune in online. And um, I remember that after I shared my story and, you know, talked about different things, I got a question from a parent. And, you know, I talked about how my lung function had dropped and how I had went through the process of possibly needing a transplant and, you know, eventually getting in a place where, I was healthy enough that I didn't need one, but, mm-hmm. you know, I might at some point. You never know. So I got this question, and it was kind of like, well, what would you have done different? 
And my answer was nothing. Nothing. You know, because I do my treatments every day. I have done everything I could possibly do. And the fact that I had said something like that kind of just blew this person's mind. You know what I mean? Because it was like, wow, you know, some of these things are not preventable. But I think at the end of the day, if you really put that effort in and, you know, it's a progressive disease that... And, you know, at the end of the day, if you have to get to that point, at least you have peace of mind knowing mm-hmm. I did every single thing I possibly could have yeah. done. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, I think the I think the you know, the moral of the story here is that you really shouldn't be comparing yourself to another person with their, you know, with their illness. Right. And, and that's you know not at all what I was doing in my blog post. And like for some reason, people construed it as that. You know, I think I was I, think I was talking media causes that sometimes, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you know my, we just naturally compare ourselves uh, to each other. Definitely. And, I, you know, I think I was, you know, I'm, I was talking about, you know, something I have a lot of pride in. You know, I have a lot of pride in the fact that I'm able to take care of myself and I do whatever it takes to do that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, at the same time, you know, I also, you know, I, yeah, I do see those, you know, those cystic fibrosis, you know, personal trainers out there who mm. like are able to get like, you know, do one nebulizer in the morning and call it a day and then go to the gym yeah, and, right. and work out at the gym all day. Yeah. I mean, I think if we all work at the gym all every single day of our lives, it hit, you know, we, we'd all be pretty good, but yeah. you know, it's just not the reality of that we're living in. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I, I just know that, you know, my personal health and my personal life is, is my, you know, ultimate task. You know, the ultimate will to survive is a personal thing. And, you know, that's not something I compare to somebody else. And I don't ever expect somebody else to compare their will to survive to me. You know, I think you just have to look at your individual case with cystic fibrosis and deal, do what works best for you. That's what I do. And what works best for me is is, is being 100% compliant. Yeah. And I think having a lot of communication with your center, your CF clinic is really important with your doctors and your nurses to keep yourself compliant. Because then like Leah, she always has to change her regimen to fit yeah, what's going on. And yeah, I, I, I think that, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think that having that communication helps you stay compliant because then you can pinpoint what is needed, what right. your symptoms are going, what, what's going on. So I think that's a good idea to be very com- communicative to your I also think since CF is so individual and we're all at different points with it and no mm-hmm. one's disease looks 100% the same that that means that compliance is never 100% the same for each individual yeah mm-hmm. so when you communicate with your doctor and let's say you do have a hard time doing your treatments and the mm-hmm. regimen you have going on is not working for you and you are not able to yeah. do it that doesn't mean that there is a, not another way of going about it that mm-hmm. will make you compliant. And I think yeah. that's what a lot of people get lost in is that there are a lot of answers to this. There is not one solid answer that's like, you have to do your treatments in this order, in this way, just like everyone else. Because guess what? That doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. You know. And I think a lot of times people don't do their treatments because it's like, okay, I did it the way that everyone else does it. It's not working for me. Like a lot of people say the vest doesn't work for them. Okay, yeah. let's try a different method. There's a lot of different methods out there that might work better for you, that might be easier for you. You might be able to do it in the car. I mean, if you're having a hard time fitting it in, there are ways to figure it out. You just have to be open-minded and communicate to your team. Yeah. You know, and I know every team's different. I know every doctor's different. Every nurse is different. I know some teams are more understanding than others. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you need to find a team that works best for you, that's going to listen to you. And, you know, they're going to help you come up with the best routine so that you can be compliant because it is possible. And I think that's what you were trying to get out is 
it is possible. You just got to figure out what works for you. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I use the example of when I was a kid, it's, it was a lot different for kids now, right? You know, back yeah, back right. when I went on a sleepover or we went on a family vacation or, or something like that, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. lugging the vest around. I also wasn't lugging around a thousand nebulizers. We didn't have all these things that we have we today, didn't. right? Yeah. Like we didn't have hypertonic saline. We didn't have no. the vest. You know, I had the flutter. My treatment session yeah. was like, oh my was, gosh, you did the flutter so much. Yeah, flutter. my 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 treatment session was just an inhaler, yeah, the flutter, yeah. palmazime, and then Toby yeah. on my on or off month. You know, that's not right. what my treatment you know looked like today. You know, it looks a lot different today. And, right. you know, I, I was also I also wasn't taking all these pills that I take. I wasn't taking, you know, a thousand pills a day. I was taking just my enzymes and, you know, vitamins and yeah. stuff like that here or there. You know, that's changed. And But the bottom line is, is that was one way that it was able to work for me when I was a kid. You know, that there, right. there are ways to make these things streamlined and make them easier and this, that, and the other thing. You know, mm-hmm. back in the old days, I wasn't worried about, you know, washing my nebulizers while we were on the road because that was something I, like I just didn't have to bring that many of them. You know, like it was just a very self-sustainable thing. Um, you know, these days, you know, I'm I'm doing four nebs every treatment session plus the vest, and I've got all these pills. You know, so I got to bring that all around with me. And yeah, it's hard. But if I, like I said, we talked about earlier, my my priorities in life dictate that I do my treatments as um you know as I as I need to 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 be successful on a trip or whatever. You know, I'm going to do it. You know, I mean, but I'm going to make it work, you know, and, and one of the ways I make it work is, you know, I have the Monarch vest that makes traveling just a little easier and that, you know, that, that essentially mm-hmm. creates the, you know, the ability for me to, to stay compliant on the road. You know, there are different, right. there are different mechanisms to, to create answers for different scenarios. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, a lot of it also comes down to people not always having the resources that they need. Mm-hmm. And I think there are so many just programs out there and different you know, like CFF has compass and there's different things that can help you get the resources you need that you might, you know, otherwise have a hard time getting. Yeah. So I think there are answers to a lot of these things. There's also social workers that are usually in the clinics or your clinic can find you someone that can help work with you that can get you the resources. It's just taking those extra steps to get what you need. I mean that's all, I that's hard, that's all that mean that, that yeah. that's also very true. I mean, they're, 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 if we talk about these social barriers and stuff like that to you know treatment being compliant with the treatments, right. you know, the, a lot of these things also require tough, dif- you know, tough, difficult conversations, right? You know, we, we always you know we always hear how you know, people are denied like you know treatment X, Y, or Z or whatever, right. um, you know, because a person has you know. For example, if a person has like a certain kind of Medicare plus, you know, some other insurance situation, you know, the 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 pharmaceuticals are very, you know, their hands are kind of tied with their aid. Whereas, you know, people on you know many other kinds of insurance, whatever, can get, you know, the the aid packages from from the pharmaceuticals. Like for example, you know, I love my my Pulmazine Genentech. Uh, yeah. you know, patient assistance thing. You know, those are great things, but not all insurance, um, you know, coverage plans or, um, you know, Medicare reimbursement plans allow right. those things to take part. So, you know, then those people, you know, it's important to take a step back and see, like, look at the outcomes. How can I get to where I need to get to to get my medications? And a lot of times those involve very difficult conversations. You know, for some people, it's, you know, getting divorced. Right, yeah. getting divorced to bring down the income level, like that's a very difficult yeah. thing for some people to do, and then be claimed as dependent. Right. You know, those are hard, hard situations, but those yeah. are paths to getting medications in in some situations, right? right. You know, I think um, you know in cystic fibrosis community, you know, if you look at the registry, you, we do see that a lot of people. Um, 
you want you know a lot of people are able to seamlessly get their treatments but there are people out there who do have a hard time either affording them or they're financially or it creates financial instability within the household and those are terrible terrible situations and those are things that you know as a society we have to come to remedy because these people are being forced to make very difficult situations, uh, very, very difficult choices. You know, mm-hmm. no patient should ever have to choose between <laughs> medication A and medication B because they can't afford it. Like that, that's a very difficult mm-hmm. thing to do. And that's another area of treatment compliance that, you know, I, that's not really what we're talking about here. And we can talk about that in another episode. Right. Um, but, you know, I think it's important for people to know that, yeah, there, there are solutions to a lot of these problems in a lot of different ways. There but they, they may not be sexy solutions, right? They, yeah, a lot they of the also th- are not always the easiest solution. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of times why people don't follow through with it. Mm-hmm. You know, we get a lot in our comments, or at least that I see, is like, you know, you'll be talking about some aspect, and it usually comes back to this, where it's hard to get the resources you need. Yeah. Like, someone might have lost their insurance because of a job, or, yeah. you know, they might not be able to afford a medication because it's just too expensive, mm-hmm. you know? And they kind of act like no one else understands, you know, that no one else goes through this or like, you know, and it's like, I have been through every situation known to man with this stuff. Yeah. And at the end of the day, there is an answer. Yeah. You just might have to call 50 million people and be exactly. a pain in the butt. Yeah. You know, yeah, but I mean, at, at this, but at the same time, you know, there, there are, you know, the only feasible solutions for some, you know, for some of these situations out there is depending on people, the state that people live in, yeah. you know, it, they, they are, they are very, yeah. you know, they do include some very difficult choices and, you know, we don't want to, you know, overlook those because I think yeah, I at the end of the day, we all want 100% of people with cystic fibrosis to get what they need. And, yeah. you know, and I think it, it really comes down to the fact that, um, it does take a lot of time and effort, like you've said, to, to get on the phone with a lot of people and have a lot of difficult right. conversations with, you know, your, your cystic fibrosis clinic, your, you know, CF Compass, the social worker, the, you know, the, the pharmaceutical that's creating the medication, the insurance, uh, you know, people the insurance, as, or, or the, a lot of times what the government is yeah. when you call your insurance company, you can learn a lot more about what you can get that you wouldn't know that you could get. You know what I mean? Like, I've had issues where, like, my vest wouldn't get covered. Like, you know, I have the supplier of my vest that's supposed to come telling me, oh, we're only, your insurance is only covering, like, 20% of this. Oh, yeah, like, I can afford the other 80%. That's funny. You know, and then you call the insurance company, and they're like, no, no, we cover this amount. And then you have to link them together and get them to talk, and then it eventually gets cleared up. But that takes a lot of effort, you know, and if you're doing all these treatments... And then you also work and you also might have kids. Having these yeah. kind of conversations is hard. Like, when do you have yeah. the time to do it? It is you hard. Know, and, and it's just, you have to make it a priority and find yeah. a time. And then also in some situations, you know, there's policies or laws that are getting in the way of yeah. people. You know, so like, exactly. you know, there are situations where, you know, a, a law may forbid an, a pharmaceutical company or a medical manufacturer from actually helping a patient. Right. Yeah. Or, right. you know, we have a policy where, you know, patients can only accept so much aid from these from these pharmaceutical companies or, or yeah. you know, they can only right. have so much, you know, uh, help from the the insurance side of things or the government. And, you know, I think we could like, you know, we could have like a thousand podcasts we, on this topic. But we actually could. Yeah. <laughs> but but, you know, I think I want to like bring the plane back to where we started off. And it was all about, you know, I think the notion that being 100 percent compliant is possible, as we've all proven ourselves. But, you know, we're not saying that if you can't do that, you're wrong. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying you're wrong if you can't do it. We're just saying that, you know, some, you know it is possible in, in, within the realm of cystic fibrosis. It's a very hard thing to do. We're not discounting that. But right. we're saying, you know, it's all about prioritizing what works for your personal life and your personal case with cystic fibrosis. You know, in your situation, you know, you may be totally fine. 
if you're not 100% compliant, you know, that's, you know, that that's one of those things that, you know, may work for people. But at the end of the day, I think what I consider the ultimate barometer of how I'm doing, the ultimate barometer of success is where my health is, right? Yeah. If my health is, you know, sluggish, then, you know, then I have to change something with my routine, regardless of, you know, being 100% compliant. You know, that my health is the ultimate barometer. It's also the ultimate motivator. And it gives me like immediate feedback. Yes. So, you know, I think that's kind of what I'm saying here. And, um, you know, we, we, can, we can close out the podcast, uh, I think, with just, uh, you know, saying that I think, you know, if, if you want to go and read the blog that I wrote that sort of sparked the conversation, you can find it on GunnarSison.com. Um, but ultimately, I think we, we just have to say that, you know, for us, it, it, it works to be you're totally compliant with our medications yeah. because otherwise we're not going to have the, the lives that we want to have. Mm-hmm. No, we're That's not. True. I mean, there's no help. way I could live the life that I live if I didn't do my treatments. And I could reject my lungs if I don't do my meds. So let's just say I am very compliant over here. <laughs> I don't want to do that again. Yeah. You don't, yeah. We don't want you to do that again. Yeah, we, we, don't want you to, we don't want you to go through that either. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I think uh, this is a good episode, and we'll, we'll be back again next week, obviously. Um, if you're listening to us on iTunes, remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars. Five stars Five for today. Five stars. Um, we're also on SoundCloud. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram, at breathe underscore in underscore pod on Instagram. That's also our email address, breathe underscore in underscore pod at assassin.org. I'm Gunnar Sison. They're the Salty Sisters. Um, tell us, are you compliant, 100% compliant with your medications? Is it possible for you to do it? Are you okay with not being 100% compliant? Do you have issues getting your medications? Or do you have problems with that? Let us know. Because then we, right. can, we can talk about it. We can uh, you know, either maybe help you find a solution or... Uh, we can bring some awareness to your uh, to your plight, and that you know that's also something that we can definitely do. Um, remember to go down those DMs, l- let us know what you think, and we will be back next week. I'm Gunnar Sison. That's Leah. That's Tiff. We'll see you later. <laughs> Bye, Bye, guys.